0: So I'm going to preach now uh, from Titus to the elders and the congregation so that you can both, so you can know what you are supposed to be looking for from your elder and preach to the elders, and this is not just to Chris, but to all el- other elders present, those serving on the session, those on sabbatical, those from another church, um, those even uh, our elder emeritus uh, who are still elders in our church, um, not serving on the session. So, but you can know what, uh, what your role is as an elder, and this is, what I want to, this is what I want to emphasize. Two things as we look at Titus. We're going to keep looking for these two things. Um, it's easy when you think about elders to think about the main job of an elder. What elders do is they're a board, and they get together, and they make decisions, and they sit down in a room, and they have a session meeting, and they have business, and they go through this business, and it, it, it lasts several hours, and that's their, and they make decisions, and they lead the church, and all that. And that's what an elder does. But that is not at all the primary thing that an elder does. That is not our primary duty, our main duty. That is a duty. It's important. It must happen. But that, that can so easily become the focus of this is what an elder does. This is what a deacon does. We're not talking about deacons today, but a deacon has those meetings too. But that's not our, that's not our main job. That's one thing we do, but making decisions is not our main job. The main job of an elder is to teach your people sound doctrine so they will do good works. That's the message of Titus. Teach your people, the people in your church, not the people in another church, the people in your church who are under your care, teach them sound doctrine. I'll talk about what that is in a second. I know the, the term sound doctrine at least immediately makes some of you green. It shouldn't, but it does. I know that that's the, that's the case. Teach some, teach your people sound doctrine so that they do good works. And you say, I wish you hadn't added that last part. I can't help it because Titus talks about that this is the importance of this so much in the book of Titus that it's, it, it, you can't not say it. That's the importance of this. Teach your people sound doctrines so that they will do good works. That is the main role of an elder, getting the Bible to the people so their lives are changed. That's our, and I'm not talking about classes, teaching classes, although you could be teaching classes. I'm talking about an elder talking to a member, speaking to a member, and speaking to them about God's word. This is what God's word says. This is the truth. When you say sound doctrine, you mean two things and part of it is missed, so I want to mention this. When you say sound doctrine, you mean what God has told us in his word about who he is and his salvation, that. And the second part is sometimes missed. Another part of sound doctrine, and Paul makes it so clear in the book of Titus, is what are the good works that God requires of us? Both. Both of those are sound doctrine. You usually think the first one's sound doctrine and the second one's something else but both of those are sound doctrine. What who is God? Who is Jesus? What has he done? What is he going to do? How has he done it by his power, his righteousness, his grace? Yes, that is what we believe. This is what we testify. And what are the good works he calls us to do now? By his grace and by his help and by his That's sound doctrine. So teach your people sound doctrine so that they will do good works. Teach only what God And so, elders, I want to remind you that that's your duty. Don't get distracted by session meetings, business meetings, this, that, and the other thing, from your main and primary duty, which should be most of your work, talking to the members about the word, what God's Word says, what God's Word teaches. That's your main job. That's what we're all about. That's what we have to be invested in. That's what we have to be doing. And I'm not talking about teaching classes, once again. I'm talking about conversations, teaching individuals. Um, and I'm talking about also teaching by your example. Paul also emphasizes this in Titus we're going to see. Your example should also be teaching, but that doesn't mean you don't speak in words too. You speak in words. This is God's word. This is what God's word says. This is the duty of an elder. And by the way, I'm an elder too, so when I'm, I'm including myself in this, the el- myself and the elders who will be up here in front of you in just a moment, um, most of them at least, so you'll be able to see them and see who the elders of this church t- this, uh, church are. Um, and to add to so just to, to specify that one more thing really quickly is teach only what God tells us clearly in his word, what God emphasizes, what God repeats again and again, what God says is absolutely central, absolutely important in his word. This is what we must hammer on. This is my, my, what we must be telling, uh, to the people. Um, and, uh, and members, I want to say this, before we, before we begin to read Titus, members, seek out an elder, seek out elders or just, you know, an elder for help and listen to and obey his teachings. Now, I know some of you have never done that or you don't want to do that or you want to be left alone. You want no, I know that some of you want no relationship with an elder with me or any of the other. You don't want that. You don't want them messing with you, talking to you. giving. I know that that's the case, um, but that's not right. Every Christian, including the elders themselves, are supposed to have elders speaking into their lives. I am, as the pastor of this church, supposed to have the other elders speaking into my life, the Word of God, and you all as members, and the other elders, this is true, we're all supposed to be speaking into each other's life, and we're, all the members are supposed to have an elder or elders speaking into their lives the Word of God. They know, he, someone who knows you and can teach the Word of God to you. Uh, even if you know it already, it may just be, some of you know the, the Bible um, as well as any elder, and it may just be strengthening you in it, reminding you of the teaching, reminding you of the teaching. Uh, strengthening in you in it, hearing it from a brother or you know, he- hearing it from this other brother, uh, it encourages you in that and strengthens you in that. So, elders, teach your people sound doctrines so they will do good works. Members, seek out elders for guidance. And I know some of you already decided not to do that. And, it, and, and you, you're already saying, no, I'd never do that. I would never talk to an elder. I never would. I just wouldn't go to them and talk to them about and and, and have them talk. I just don't want to do that. Just note it. I just want you to understand you're sort of out of the line with Christianity. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm not saying you're not uh, one of God's people. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You're not forgiven. You just got to understand the ordinary Christian life is leaders and elders who speak into your life the Word of God. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what's supposed to happen. This is the way we're all supposed to live. I have it. I have it. I hear it from the elders, and I hear it from other elders in the presbytery, speaking the word of God. I need that. I must have that, uh, speaking it into my life. Um, Okay, now we're going to read Titus. Titus takes about seven minutes to read. I'm going to read through it and pause at different places and make brief comments, but um, let's see what happens here as we read through Titus. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, For the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Notice that phrase. This is what an elder's job is to do. To to pass on the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Okay? That's our job. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. There's the sound doctrine about salvation. Resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. And at his appointed season, he brought his word to light. He brought his word to light. This is the word we pass on, elders. Through the preaching entrusted to me, Paul speaking personally, I was given this message, which I've now passed on to Titus, and I'm passing on to other church leaders. um, Entrusted to me by the command of God, our Savior, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. Titus is a pastor on Crete. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished. What is this thing that's unfinished? And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So he's saying, that the, the, he's saying here, Titus, what I want you to understand is the time has come for you now to appoint elders in every town, and the job that I'm giving you to do, you're going to be, Titus is very soon going to be leaving Crete. So what he's doing is, he's being told what to do, and he's going to appoint elders in every town. That means there's a church in the different towns, there's there's a church in every town, or multiple churches in every town, and every church needs elders. So he's going to appoint elders for each of these churches, each of these towns, um, so that uh, when Titus leaves, which is soon to come, they will have people in place doing the work that Paul's going to call Titus to do. The elders will be doing that very same work uh, in the coming uh, months and years. So this is what he's supposed to do, appoint elders, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, and that has to do with like his faithfulness to that wife, that he is faithful to one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient, since an overseer, that's another word for elder, The word overseer or bishop uh, is just another title for the same office. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, notice that, elders. You have been entrusted with God's work. You better know what your work is. We better be about the work. To become an elder is to be entrusted with God's work, God's work. Since the overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. That's, these are the ways that he must be blameless in not doing these things. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So an elder teaches not only by his words but by his life and his example. He, and then here's, here's the verse, our key verse for this morning. He must hold firmly, hold firmly to the trustworthy message or word is is what most of your translations might say. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word, the message, God's word, the gospel, as it has been taught, given to him by the apostles and by Titus, so that, two things, he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who Oppose it. And the word there for encourage, to me, it communicates the wrong thing. And not that, we, not that teaching isn't encouraging, but really the word also just means teach. So I'm not sure why the NIV chose to emphasize encouragement there. Of course, teaching does encourage, but really the, it, the term can just mean uh, to, encu- to teach others sound doctrine, to teach others with sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose it. And refute those who oppose it. So, These two things are going to come up in this book. These are the two things that are going to come up in this book again and again, that they must teach others sound doctrine, and they must refute those who oppose it, okay? So I've already talked about the first half, and we're going to get back to that in just a moment in chapter 2. But first, he's going to tackle the second one. In a minute, in chapter 2, he's going to talk about teaching sound doctrine. But now, first, he's going to talk about refuting those um, who oppose sound doctrine, oppose God's teaching. Here's what he says, verse 10. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. Now, this is a group that he's talking about. We don't know a lot about them. We don't know too much about everything that they were saying and doing. But what you need to understand is this is a group inside the church. This is Christians. These are people claiming to be Christians, not only claiming to be Christians, but claiming to be teachers of God's Word. And what they were doing is we don't know all the details and everything that they said, but basically what they were doing was, they were teachers who were, uh, they were teaching, you'll see this again in, in a moment, they were teaching things, uh, they, who, they had added to the word what Christ, the message they had received through Jesus Christ, the apostles had passed on through Jesus Christ, the, the word of God that had become from the apostles to Titus to the others, these teachers were teaching extra stuff, extra goodies. They were like, oh, we've got some things that you may, your teacher may not have told you these other things that you need to know and do. We have new requirements. We have added duties, added requirements that you need to do this. And if you do that, you'll be in the inner circle of Christians, the true Christians, the really powerful Christians, the real. If you're doing this stuff, the only problem is the things that they were teaching did not come from Jesus. They didn't come from the Bible. They didn't come from what the apostles taught. They were adding requirements, adding duties, adding to the word of God. And this is the false teaching that he's talking about. And that's why he's saying, These are the rebellious people he's talking about here, these teachers. You'll you'll see what he says. Verse 11, he says, they must be silenced. Not because you're trying to be mean to them, but because you're trying to protect the people from this bad teaching. Whenever anybody wants to come in and say, hey, yeah, you, you understand these things, these Christian things, but we have additional things, new things you need to know. New things you got to do, and this is God's requirement. If you really want to be, really be with God, if you really want to be a, a Christian in, in the inner circle, if you really want to be one of the, 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 the ones that advances above the rest, if you really want to know you got to have these, these truths, these new truths, these other truths, that we're not a part of Christ's message, not a part of, but they're digging it out of the Old Testament. They're digging it out of, of their traditions. They're digging it out. These are Jewish people. They're digging it out of the traditions of the elders, dig, digging it out of the Old Testament, saying, No, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and adding to what the Bible actually said. And that kind of stuff is so dangerous. And that's why I said to the elders at the beginning, We got to stick to what God actually says. We cannot add on. We cannot embellish. We cannot uh, say, you know, I sort of think this passage means this and then come up with some requirement that is not biblical. It's, it's going way beyond what, what the Bible actually says or adding things uh, onto Christians and adding, and adding things. Uh, this will lead them astray. Um, so what does he say? He says, they must be silenced. You have to keep, if these people are teaching, he's not talking about going out outside the church and finding false teachers and silencing them. No, no. He's talking about if they're in the church, if they're in the churches of Crete, the towns of Crete, if you have these kinds of people in your churches on on Crete, um, you need to silence any Christian in your church who's teaching any of these kinds of things. They must be silenced. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households. And that could either mean families, but it also could mean, because these were house churches, a household could also mean a house church. They're ruining whole house churches. It could mean either one. Um, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. They didn't get this from Jesus. They didn't get this from the apostles. This is their extra wisdom, their extra, extra embellishment, their new teachings, their new ideas, okay? He said, and, 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 uh, because they are ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So, this is true of these teachers, it may not be true of, of every teacher we encounter, but it's a pretty common thing in church history that a teacher will come up and say, hey, I got things to tell you you never heard before. Wait till you hear this, and you can send your donations here. And we, need to, we really need to expand the building, and, we, and I really could use a jet. And that kind of stuff, and so, but even in the local church, it can be trying to trying to get ahead, trying to get power, trying to uh, somebody says, "Oh, I got teachings that other people don't have. I got things other people don't know about." And if 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 you listen to me, then you'll be going somewhere. You'll be in the inner circle, and you will, and then you and 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 and, you know, and, and and they'll they'll push their own agenda, push themselves forward, so they'll they'll be profiting and gaining by this. Okay, so um. They're, uh, uh, they, they must be silenced because they are ruining whole households and that for the sake of dishonest gain. This is, part, this is not just them um, only genuinely wanting to teach God's word, but it's also something that's profiting them, benefiting them. Uh, te- but it's dishonest because they're, falsely, they're teaching false things that aren't true uh, for their benefit. Um, I don't have time to expand on verse 12. I'll read it for you, and it'll be a mystery to you. But it's sort of a philosophical joke that Paul's making here. Um, it was an old joke in philosophy that a, a famous Cretan said, all Cretans are liars. And so philosophers would say, so if he's, a, if he's a Cretan and he's a liar, is this true? And so Paul actually alludes to this philosophical joke about Cretans, all Cretans being liar, spoken by a Cretan. But I'm not going to expand on it because it would take too much time, and it's not necessary for what we're going to do today. So let me read it. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, the false teachers, not the people, but rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith, so the people will be sound in the faith, and will pay no attention to Jewish myths, these inventions, or to the commands of those who reject the truth. Notice that. Myths, added ideas, and um, commands that are not a part of the truth, that are not the real commands. They're giving them new commands that are not really part of God's word, part of the truth. They're they're adding commands. Um, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God. This is what he says about the false teachers. They claim to know God, but by by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. And what it really says there is unfit for good works. Unfit for good works. So he's saying this teaching has already made these people unfit for good works. What are the good works? The good works Jesus really does want you to do the good works that Jesus really does teach we're about to hear about and the apostles really do teach. There's good works that he wants them to do. This stuff just distracts you. All this added stuff is pulling you away and making people who listen to it and people who teach it unfit to actually do God's will because they're so obsessed with these new things that are of no consequence, that are, that are not important, not part of God's word. So that's something elders we need to do too as well. Protect people, protect them. Paul calls them in place the savage wolves, protect people from those who are adding to the faith and bringing in things that are just not, that are not, not going to lead them in the right way and into doing good works. Okay, so what does he want us to teach? Listen, what does he want elders to teach? And what does people, listen, because you'll, you'll be fitting into these categories, um, all of you except the children. Um, uh, what does he want us to teach? Listen to this. You must teach, chapter 2, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Now he begins to explain more depth what that is. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Okay. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women, and by younger women here in their culture, this would have meant women with children, women who had children in the home. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. All of this, they are supposed to be living in such a way that people will uh, admire and be drawn to Jesus and His teachings and the Word of God, and what the, instead of uh, instead of uh, uh, hating it, but instead but be drawn to it. Um, and they won't be able to they won't be able to point the finger at the people in your church and say, "Oh, you do this and you do that and you do the other thing." Uh, is this what Christianity teaches you? This is this is not uh, this is not good. This is not the right way. Uh, for someone to live and, and, act, and, and actually reject the faith because of the way the actual men and women in the congregation are livi- living. Similarly, you may, have, you may say, well, he left one out. He's getting there. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And everything, elders, listen to this, set them an example by good works. And I V says doing what is good, but the word there is good works, by your good works. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. May your teaching be, you know, adhere to the Word of God and be serious and be helpful and, and really be true to uh, the Word of God and be, and be something coming out of sincerity, your real desire to, to teach the Word of God and help this person in front of you. Um, so that those who oppose you, the false teachers... So you're you're to show up the false teachers by the way you teach and the way you live, elders, so that those who oppose you, the false teachers, may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us, that there's nothing really they can point to and say, look at this guy. He's your teacher. Look at him. Look at the way he lives. Look what he does. Look the way he teaches. His teaching is not good. His teaching is is, is sloppy or his teaching is, is, is not correct. Um, and then it mentions slavery and by the way, I don't have a time to talk about slavery today but of course, always remember uh, that Paul is teaching to slaves because they are trapped in slavery as if he was was preaching to someone in prison who couldn't get out of prison he'd say, this is what you can do when you're a prisoner you're in prison, it's not a good place to be it's not where you want to be but this is how you can be a good Christian in prison that's how he's talking to slaves he's not saying, slavery is a really good thing Paul's not saying that That's ridiculous. It doesn't fit with any of the other teachings of Jesus or the apostles. He's saying if you are in the unfortunate circumstance of being a slave, this is how you can still serve Jesus and serve God as a slave. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive, draw even their masters to Jesus by the way they respond to their masters. And we can apply these lessons, as we've seen many times before, to our workplace and all the work that we have to do and the bosses and people we have above us. Now, okay, that was sound doctrine in the sense of these are the good works we should do. Now we get into sound doctrine and according to this is what God has taught us. This is, this is who God is. This is what God is doing. One of the beautiful, this is a passage that the church often reads around Christmas time a uh, beautiful passage listen to this for the grace of god the undeserved favor of god on sinners that brings salvation has appeared to all men appeared in whom jesus christ it teaches us this grace that god has revealed to us these truths about jesus christ that god has revealed to us teaches us notice notice what it does Instantly, he gets back into good works because he says, if you get the truth about grace, if you get the truth about Jesus and about salvation, if you understand those doctrines, if those truths become part of who you are, then what's going to pour out of you is what he's about to say, good works. Look what he says. He says, this grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, in the age now in which we are. While we wait, what are we waiting for? I hope you know what we are waiting for. Do you know what we are waiting for? The blessed hope. What are we all, brothers and sisters, Christians, what are we waiting for? The blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Maranatha, may it be before I finish this sermon. May he appear. May we see the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us on the cross to redeem us. Notice the way he describes what Jesus did for us. He brings it back to good works again. Instead of saying to forgive us of our sins, which is true, absolutely fundamental, to bring justification, which is absolutely true and fundamental, he, he brings up two other ideas uh, which have to do with the life transformation. Look what he says. He says, the glory, and this is, elders, this is what we are to be teaching to our people. This is what they need to hear from us week after week, month after month, year after year, who gave himself for us. What did Jesus give himself for? To redeem us, that means buy us from all wickedness. To buy us from our wickedness, from our slavery to wickedness, and to purify for himself a people, to make us pure. And if we get pure by Jesus' blood, what will we look like? What will we look like if Jesus' blood comes upon us and we receive it by faith, and we are, plant, we are purified by Jesus' work, his righteousness, his blood, his power, his grace. What will that look like? We will become a people that are his very own, zealous or eager to do what is good. And, of course, that's the NIV's version of zealous to do good works. That's who we are. That's what Jesus died to make us, to purify us, to be those zealous for good works. And so this is, elders, this is why I said we've got to teach the people in this congregation sound doctrine in such a way that they do the good works that we're called to, that they understand the truth about Jesus so well that it manifests itself in these good works, um, the, truth, the truths about Jesus and salvation and the grace of God and eternal life and the, and the coming of Jesus, the appearing of Jesus at the end, all of these things. And then, what does he say in verse fifteen to Titus and to the elders as well, who were going to who are going to take up Titus t- take up Titus' work? These then, verse fifteen, are the things you should teach. Teach and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now, what does that mean there? It's the exact same as 1-9 that I said was our key verse. He's saying the same thing again. Teach and rebuke. Teach sound doctrine to your people. Rebuke anyone who opposes that sound doctrine and brings new teachings that are not from God and tries to add to God's God's word. Teachers who've added to the word, added to Christ, new requirements. You must do this and do this. Um, Instead... um, Rebuke those people, but teach your own people. Do not let anyone despise you. That means, um, that doesn't mean, hey, you know, going after people, because do you have, a bad, you have a bad attitude? You know, uh, let me talk to you. Come over here. It means teach and live in such a way that the people will, uh, will hear you and recognize what you're saying and recognize that this is from God and make sure they're getting it, make sure they're receiving it as, as an authoritative word, not your word, not your idea, but God's word. Don't let them despise you. Uh, don't let them reject your, you as an elder, but instead instead teach them what God's Word is so they will receive it with respect. And members, um, I want to give this caution to you um, at this point. Uh, from, from what I was saying earlier, I didn't really say this, but when I was talking about the false teachers, um, I want to say this to members real quick. If you have a teacher outside the church, I've often been told by members of, of a church, this church or others, Well, I go to this church, but my real teacher is this guy and his books. Or my real teacher is this guy and his YouTube sermons. Or my real teacher is this guy and his podcast. And I'm not arguing with that. What I'm saying is if you have teachers and you have a teacher outside the church who is telling you things that you are not seeing us do or hearing us say, you need to raise that issue. You need to come talk to us and say, I listened to this teacher, and he's telling me, because maybe we need to be corrected, and or maybe you need to be corrected. One of the two. And we need to be, and I'm talking about not a teacher in the church who we're we're supposed to silence if they're a false teacher. But if you're listening to a teacher out there, might be a wonderful teacher, might be a not not so wonderful teacher. But if you're listening to someone and they're telling you, this happens to me a, a lot, and it's been happening a lot more the last three or four years. Where people come to me and say, This is what I heard on the podcast, and it told me this, 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 and this. You never taught me that. And I said, That's because that's baloney. (laughs) Or I say, Oh, that's a good point. This happens just as much, maybe more often. That's a really good point. Yes, I have been negligent of that topic, of that theme of Scripture thank you for pointing that out to me. I will, we will, the elders will make a point of visiting that and making sure we teach that better to the people. Either one could happen because there are wonderful teachers, godly teachers out there, um, right? And you could be receiving wonderful things from them that we do need to hear. So if you have a teacher outside the church and he teaches you to do things that we don't do and don't teach, tell an elder and let's talk about it. So we can either affirm their teaching so you can feel like, oh yes, my elder says, this is good stuff. Or we can caution you and say, hey, there's a problem here. This isn't biblical. What he's saying here isn't biblical. Um, you need that help from us. Okay, let me, um, let me read on here. Uh, I'm almost done here. Let's, let's finish chapter 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. This is elders, this is still what we're supposed to teach to people. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. That's the, that's the expression of good works, to be ready to do good works. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, at one time we too, see, now Paul pauses to say, remember who we all were. Remember who all of us were, all of us, Paul, Titus, and the whole bunch of them. Who were we? At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared... Jesus appeared to us as the very manifestation of the kindness and love of God. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared... He saved us. He saved us, sinners. Jesus saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because only because of his mercy. It was all mercy. This is sound doctrine. You have got to get that down, that it's all mercy. It's all the love of God. It's all the kindness of God. It's all the grace of God. He appeared to us with his grace, his kindness, his love, his mercy, and saved us from ourselves from our own wickedness, from our own hatred, from our own pride. All the things that were in us, he has saved us from this, forgiven us, cleansed us, and then brought us into a new kind of life, a new way of life. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, the inner work of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously, Pour, the Holy Spirit was poured out on us because of Jesus. See how it says that? Poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that, so that, and what is the result? Having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. When Paul says that, he's saying this is the trustworthy word of God. This, elders, is what you teach. People, this is what you should be looking for your your elders to be giving you and strengthening you and encouraging you and teaching you, and this is a trustworthy saying. And listen to what he says next. He says, and I want you to stress these things. Stress these things to your people, right? When you're talking to your people, stress these things. Everything he's been saying about what, is, what are good works and what are the true, the true teachings about God and Jesus. Stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, notice what he wants the result of this to be again. How many times is he going to say this? Look at it one more time. So that those who have trusted in God, Christians, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Or in the Greek, good works, good works. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And then one more time before we close out, he warns about the false teachers. Again, he brings up the false teachers. By the way, this is the context of this famous verse about a divisive person. It's about a false teacher. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless this is what the false teachers were bringing. We are bringing a new idea, and we are quarreling about it, and we don't like what you're saying, teachers, and we have our own truth, and we have a new teaching that's not in the Scriptures, but we have a new teaching, although they would probably claim it was, but we have a new teaching that is not what the apostles taught, and we're giving it to you, and we're quarreling with the rest of the church because we want to put our ideas forward, and we're causing divisions, and we're, causing, and we're fighting and quarreling and bringing forward these things. Um, uh, uh, and and, and, un- and these, this, these teachings are unprofitable and useless. And then he says, this, and, and Paul says, this is what you should do, Titus. This is what you should do, elders. If you have someone in the church who is teaching this kind of stuff, tell them twice to stop. Tell them twice to stop, and then tell them to be gone. Tell them twice to say, don't. You cannot teach this stuff to our people. You are hurting. You are you are hurting our people if you teach them stuff. This stuff. Do not teach them that. After you've warned them twice to not teach it, say, be gone. You can't be here anymore. You can't be in this church anymore if this is what you're going to teach and propagate. How does he say it? He says, warn a person who causes divisions or a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time, and after that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man, because of his persistence in this and his refusal to, to be taught the right way, you may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. And then let me close out the letter. Uh, he, as soon as I sent, just this, this personal touch, I can't read all of Titus and not read the ending, so let me read this for you. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. So Titus is getting ready to leave. Do everything you can to help Zenus the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. These are the ones who probably brought the letter, and he's sending them back, sending them somewhere else now. Help them on their way, see that they have everything they need. One more time, verse 14, he just gets it in one more time. Our people must learn. Our people, our people, Titus, these people that God has given to us, the work he's given us to do, these are our people, Titus. This is our church. This is our flock, the sheep Jesus has put in our hands, elders. And Paul says, this is what our people need. This is what our people must have. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing good works in order that they may provide for the daily necessities and not live or provide for the, that also could mean provide for the the desperate needs of other people, not just their own needs, and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me, Paul says, sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Thus ends the book, Paul's epistle to, to Titus. And let me remind you as I close out here the two things I said at the beginning. Elders, teach your people sound doctrine. This is your number one job. Not the business meetings. That is not your number one job. Your number one job is to teach the people sound doctrine. That doesn't have to be in a class. It can be just in a conversation. Pass on the true word of God to people so that they will do good works. And people, members of this church, Begin to relate to your elders, if you don't, in a new way where you actually seek them out for guidance, seek them out for help, and listen to the teaching, listen to the Word of God that they bring to you and communicate to you. Um, This is the way Christians are supposed to live. Um, This is the way we're supposed to live. Those who are elders teaching and those who are are not elders, actually, no, the elders and all the others as well, every Christian, is to be learning from elders uh, in the church.